When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season's greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am JP Mosier. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great. Why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. JP, how you doing today, I'm man? I'm doing fantastic, guys. I got to spend the best day with my best friend, Woo! just hanging out, eating, playing music, making videos, doing podcasts. You know what? Just buddies. Here we are. We get to do this about about once a month. We get to see it's each so other once awesome. a month. And uh, I can tell you what, we have very selfish reasons for continuing this podcast. Because before this, we saw each other maybe once a year. Yeah. And then when we came up with the idea for this podcast, we we it was like, now we have to see each other more often. And it's great. So <laughs> it's wonderful. you guys, the byproduct of it is that you guys get a fun podcast to listen to. The byproduct of it for us is we get to see each other like a bunch of times. It's awesome. So, it's really great. And what's the song today talking about buddies, right? Man, that's good, right. Good old, good old friends. I can be your long-lost pal. Long-lost pal. Here we so, go. Uh, why don't we get into it, man? This is going to be a fun song, a fun day, and uh, hopefully you guys will come along for the ride with us. This is You Can Call Me Al by Paul Simon. Why am I soft in the middle now? Why am I soft in the middle? The rest of my life is so hard. I need a photo opportunity. I want a shot of redemption. Don't want to end up a cartoon in a cartoon graveyard. Bone digger, bone digger, dogs in the moonlight. Far away, my well-lit door. Mr. Beer Melly, Beer Melly, get these mutts away from me, you know. I don't find this stuff amusing anymore. If you'll be my bodyguard, I can be your long lost pal. I can call you Betty, Betty, when you call me, you can call me out. A man walks down the street and says, What does he say? What does the man say walking down the street? I don't know. <laughs> Listen, immediately uh, from this song, the, the first stanza just gets me. Just gets me. The line about. Why am, I so, why am I so soft in the middle while the rest of my life is so hard? Like, that is incredible. Sets the scene so well. well. We'll talk about it, but I just, I get hooked immediately. This is one of the best feeling songs Absolutely. ever written. Like, there's, this is immediate, uh, like, just gets you hopping, you know? And it's, Bouncy. It's like, yeah. High-fiving. Uh, this is from Paul Simon's uh, 1986 album, Graceland. Surrounded by just loads and loads of controversy. And we'll get into that in a little bit later also. It hit number 23 on the Billboard uh, Hot 100. Went number 4 in the United Kingdom. And the top 10 or top 5, even top 3 in several other countries. But not huge success in the States. But it's just one of those songs that's like, everybody knows it. Of course everybody loves this song. Everybody's high school marching band plays (laughs) this song. True, true. It's the one that you learn. It's true. It's uh, it's got a simple riff. It's simple chords. The music theory section on the song is going to be ten seconds long. <laughs> uh, you know, it's very, very, very. But simple. we'll make up for it with length with the meet the band section because <laughs> yeah, there's right. forty eight instrumentalists on this. <laughs> Not really, but there's a ton. Yeah. Um. So, man. Okay. So first of all, let's talk about Alan Betty. Um. Let's do it. Let's, let's get right in here. Um. Alan Betty are sort of real people in that they are really just Paul Simon and, and, his, wife. and his first wife, Peggy, uh, Peggy, Peggy Harper. Um, they were hosting a party and excuse me. They were hosting a party and a, uh, a French composer came to the party with a friend of Paul's. Um, so this guy was like a friend of a friend. He was the plus one. Yeah. He was the plus one to Paul's friend. Exactly. And uh, as the composer is leaving, he says to Paul, Sorry, I had to leave Al. Give my best to Betty, um, and uh, and thus was born an inside joke between Paul and his wife about being Al and Betty. 
Um, and so years, you know, years later, he, um, after he's already divorced Betty at this point, by this point in time, but, uh, but this song, uh, comes about and he, and he decides to use that as the, as the references in the, in the chorus. So, um, that's the joke. Um, I honestly, like, I kind of get that this song is about, it's kind of about a like guy in a midlife crisis. You know what I mean? That's the immediate tone that gets set. Why am I so soft in the middle? when the rest of my life is so hard, like a guy's just think kind of thinking through his problems. Right. Um, and, um, and then by the end of it, it's, it's, he finds himself in another situation that kind of gives him perspective a little bit on his problems. Right. He finds himself in, maybe it's the third world. Maybe it's his first time around and, and, and seeing some things that are outside of his own problems. And it kind of gets, gives him some perspective that, you know, maybe his being soft in the middle is not so bad, you know, that kind of thing. But I don't understand really what the chorus has to do with the verses. Do you? I guess not. No, they're kind of separate. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't. And nothing in my research really illuminated that for me. Um, it's cool. I don't mind it. Two separate thoughts. I see what you're saying. Yeah, like, I, it's maybe, like... I don't know. It's maybe, maybe there's something about you know he's talking in the was the second verse about now that my role model is gone. You know, maybe there's something there I'm not catching, and he's tr- and he's trying to like, you know, befriend someone else that they can like. I, I don't fully grasp. I'll go ahead and just say it. I don't fully grasp the lyrical content. I think there are layers that I'm not catching. Onto. I didn't put too much thought into it. I guess is. I well, I did. I didn't really think about I put it. Put too much thought into it. <laughs> and the last thing you hear is the lyric. So yeah, that's yeah, a, right. I over I overthought the lyric. Um, I do but, think it's neat that it was recorded at the time of his life that he was going through because he was at a tough yeah. point in his life. He'd just, you know, him and Art had a big problem. He had just ended his marriage with Carrie Fisher. That'd be Art Garfunkel. Art Garfunkel. Let's, yes, Paul maybe, Simon. Maybe mention Art Garfunkel. Sorry about that. I figure like <laughs> everybody knows who Art is. I guess I should have been a little bit more uh, clear. I this thought is, maybe you meant the like the com- concept of oh, art. Oh, he hated like, art. Yeah, like, he hated just, painting. Man, God, I freaking oh, hate art. Um, yeah, he had uh, him and Art Garfunkel of Simon and Garfunkel had had multiple stints where they were together and then separate. Um, this current one before this track was released he had just had a big feud with him because his previous album was an album called hearts and bones it came out in 83 and he recorded some tracks with art garfunkel which they did a lot of stuff together but paul didn't put any of his stuff on the album Hmm. so he was like they were at odds like they weren't on the best terms and he just divorced carrie fisher yes princess leia he was married to carrie fisher for a while so this guy's in a down spot like he's in a he's in a low, and maybe it's maybe it's semi autobiographical. You know, maybe maybe he's the guy. You know, uh, in the in the first verse, and because this song comes a lot, and we'll talk at length about this, I'm sure. Um, this album uh, is influenced by his a trip he took to South Africa, mm-hmm. um, and finding himself in that different scenario, and the perspectives that he gained from there, personally and musically. Um, and so maybe this is semi-autobiographical with regard to that. And maybe Art Garfunkel is his role model. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe that's the reference there. He's kind of my... tall like Chevy Chase in the video. They kind of <laughs> right? they kind of looked similar. Yeah, so maybe maybe that's like kind of, you know, like where do I find myself now that my I've lost two wives at this point, mm-hmm. my relationship with Garfunkel is is broken. My partner, um, I've been buddies with him since age eleven. Yeah, and now we're and now we're yeah. So maybe that's what we're talking about. And so maybe it's him searching for that next um, that thing that's going to complete him, which is definitely a universal <laughs> search, right? Everybody's looking for that for that thing. Uh, so maybe he's that's that's what it is. I can call you Betty. You can be my bodyguard, and I can be your long lost pal, and we'll be we'll be great this great is, together. Yeah, you know, I'm looking for somebody to be great together with. Mm-hmm. Um, so and maybe you're it. Um, so I don't know. If you got ideas, go ahead and Throw shout them at us. us. Yeah, find us. We're on Facebook. Uh, find us at the at the group called Great Songs and the Great People Who Love Them Greatly, and uh, or Facebook.com slash groups slash Great Song Pod. And you can hit us up on Twitter at Great Song Pod. What, how do you interpret these lyrics? That's kind of the best we got. Uh, but maybe you've got something, you know, maybe you're, uh, hey, maybe you're Paul Simon. Paul, I know you're a big fan of the show. Why don't you just, why don't you just call Throw me back? Us, yeah. You know, call me. I've been standing at your house for six hours now. Why don't you just, I, I'm running out of rocks to throw at your window. Just let me know, okay? Um, 
Do you want to talk a little bit about the recording of the album, where it was done? It was, um, yeah. I don't know if we want to jump into that. Absolutely. Let's um, talk about it. Yeah. He, it, first of all, this is arguably one of the greatest albums of all time. Yeah. Um, 86, 87 Grammy album of the year. Um, toured with, uh, he did, toured this with South African musicians. Um, and this was in the middle of the apartheid, racial segregation, where whites are definitely the minority in, in South Africa. Um, and, but they know, hold all the power. Correct. Like they're, 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 it's, a, it's a thing where uh, the, the white minority is in charge, and they are, it's basically governmental segregation and racism enforced by the government. Mm-hmm. Like, anyway. Yeah. And they had, like, they had to be, when they were doing these sessions over in South Africa, when they were laying down some stuff, they had to be done by five o'clock every night um, just so that they could get home safely. Yeah. Basically, was kind of the thing. So, yeah. Um, not a lot of investment by Warner Brothers at the time towards this album financially because they were heavily invested in Madonna and Prince at right. this time. So, he didn't have the financial backing that most need to crack to win a, a Grammy Award. Yeah. And especially with what he was trying to pull off. Uh, sure. Musically, was pretty ambitious. He, Absolutely. He, he ended up recording in various locations, New York, London, and Johannesburg, South Africa, and with a huge group of people, and he is... All kinds. And when they, when they travel, um, he is trying to make sure that they are being treated uh, the way that he is accustomed to being treated. And so there's the extra expense of flying everybody out first class, putting them in five-star hotels, and them getting the, you know, kind of the royal treatment, which in itself was an issue. And we'll talk there's loads of controversy surrounding his some of his choices in the recording of this album and, and the making of it. Um, but um, so, yeah, so I'm sure it was a stressor for him to maybe not have the budget that he was hoping for from Warner Brothers uh, because they were focused on uh, Madonna, Madonna and Prince, and Prince yeah. you know. Uh, a little bit about the recording of the this particular song. Obviously, it's very heavy on horns, right? The cl- it's got the classic you know that that whole section um, and synthesizers playing at the beginning, a little light clean guitar. It's very, um, it's just very loose feeling. It's it's not loose like rhythmically. It just there's a lot going on. Um, you know, got the uh, bongos kind of going through the whole thing. You know the whole all that business, um, but because of that, what they ended up with in the in the mix process of the song, um, they ended up with a set of lead vocals that were kind of hard to hear. There was so much going on, and Paul Simon's busy. voice, yeah, busy. And Paul Simon's voice is not like booming. You know what I mean? He's it's not dynamic. He's not a dynamic vocalist, right? So he's got a good singer, but yeah, he's got a very um, singer songwriter James Taylor coffee shop. Coffee, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, that's great. Um, and so they're having trouble getting his vocals um, through the mix, right? To You want vocals that ideally kind of sit well on top of the mix but are still able to be heard, right? You know what I'm saying? So the engineer kind of eventually found a solution, um, and this is pretty unique, uh, but he used different tape delay effects on either side of the vocal. So when you're listening to a track since the mid sixties, I guess uh, they made the switch from mono, which is a single channel of audio to stereo, which is what you have in your car on your headphones. You have a distinct left side and a right side um, instead of everything being right down the, the same on both sides mm-hmm. and essentially being what you would call down the middle. Um, so, um, so the mix engineer took his vocals and applied a stereo tape delay. Now, now you do this with computer software, with plugins. At this time, we're talking machines that are running tape and, and using those to create delays. And so he took the lead vocal and ran it through a delay at a certain um, time delay on the left side and then at a different time delay on the right side. And... Uh, and it helped. He said, he said, literally, he said, don't ask me why, don't ask me (laughs) why it worked. Don't ask me how it worked, but it, but it helped the vocals to sit nicely, not be so out front that they were annoying, uh, but not be buried buried Mm -hmm. where you couldn't, couldn't understand them. Um, I love little studio stories like that, you know, any, 
anything you can anything about a classic track that you can learn how it's done that you know it's just cool to hear and then especially if you work with any sort of recording stuff yourself it it gives you hope that like that mix that you're trying to fix you know what i mean or that like <laughs> don't worry one day it'll be easier and they'll be like you did this on what a computer a computer please like, goodness yeah no i just run it through the i did it with my brain i was gonna say <laughs> i just run it through the google mix chip in my brain and <laughs> i don't i don't understand how does how's that? It's like a yeah. Back to the Future too. When he's like, you have to use your hands. That's like a baby's toy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It reminds me of the the last thing we did at the end of episode or season two with the the whole Queen thing, where they talked yeah. about all the overdubs and everything. That yeah. was a neat story. So I yeah. thought this kind of tied in. That was I love good. Studio that could be a whole other podcast. Studio Tales from the Studio. Tales from the Studio. Copyright 2019. <laughs> Great Song Podcast. Um, verbal copyright. Um, okay. A little bit more, you know what, before we talk about the album, cause, the, cause that gets pretty, pretty heavy when you start talking about the album in, in some of it. So why don't we go ahead and meet the band and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more on the album. Let's cool? meet them. Sure. Let's meet all 50 of the band. <laughs> all right. You, you know what? Grab yourself a soda, sit down, take, take a rest, get everything you need around you. You're not going anywhere for a minute. I'm just kidding. Let's meet the band. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey mama, let's meet the band. Let's all We're going to meet the band uh, that played on this track and uh, the majority of Graceland, the Paul Simon album. Uh, I'm going to start with the synth and horn arrangement because, my goodness, I mean, whatever. He did this, and that's amazing. Um, Enough said. His name's Rob Mouncey, um, piano and keyboard aficionado. He actually did the piano and keyboard part on Against All Odds, the Take a Look at Me Now, the Phil Collins song. Also did work with Steely Dan, Aretha Franklin, James Taylor, uh, recently did some stuff with Rihanna, Mary J. Blige, and Usher. Wow. So he's still relevant still today. Still going hard. Still, still doing his thing. Um, on synth guitar, Adrian Ballou um, of King Crimson, frontman and co-guitarist. Yeah. Um, toured with the Talking Heads, David Bowie, Frank Zappa. He's really big in instrument design, like the Parker Fly series. Yeah. I love those. He designed that. Really? So, yeah, actually, um, he designed the Parker Fly. Interesting. That's Which, a, it's a kind of a unique-looking guitar. It's I a unique-looking take on, a, on an electric Have guitar. you played a Parker Fly? A long, long, long time I like time the way ago. they play. Actually, one of my favorite albums is called On the Fly, and it's by Phil Keggy. It's a really, really good little guitar album. Um, he developed mononucleosis, mononucleosis, yeah. hope I got that right. AKA Glad- mono. Yeah, mono. Yeah. Uh, glandular fever, swollen lymph nodes at a young age. And so he was bedridden, bedridden for a long time, and he learned to play guitar sitting in the bed. Like, he's no. like, couldn't do much, so that's Nothing how he else learned to do. Yeah, yeah let's just learn guitar. Uh, I did that. I, I learned guitar sitting in the bed, too, or on the couch, but it was just because I was lazy. <laughs> he just didn't want to stand up. Yeah. The, uh, he, I think something that you'll like on this, he did the music and co-produced one of your favorite projects ever, Kevin Max Stereotype B. Oh, wow. Yeah, he did, the, he did all that, and he also did some uh, Jars of Clay, their debut album, um, and he did the guitar work on... When God Shuffled His Feet, the yeah, Crash Test Dummies. Crash Test Dummies. Yep. Um, toured with Nine Inch Nails in 2013. Uh, big Elephant Talk song with King Crimson. And he's known as the master of the tremolo arm or the whammy bar. Huh. Uh, and he's got a song called Twang Bar King. If you ever want to check it out, it's just he plays the entire song with his whammy bar. Interesting. So it's a pretty neat little song. That's a pretty bold claim. If, to say you're the king of, yeah, or you're the yeah. master of the tremolo with, arm. Like with Jeff Beck out there. Sure. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, right. I mean. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the other guitar player, a guy named Ray Fury, tons of crashes. Like this guy was in a ton of crashes. Like literal, like car literal crashes. crashes, car crashes, all kinds of crashes. Okay. Eighty-seven. He was in a car crash that killed all six of his band members. Oh no! But he survived. Oh my word! So he survived. All six of his members died. Two thousand three, car crash. Wife died. He survived. Oh my god! This poor guy. Don't ride in a car with Ray Fury. Man. Um, had big beef with Paul Simon saying that he never got credit for all of his songwritings that he contributed. And the way he ended his relationship with Paul Simon is he's like, at least he can sleep at night knowing that he would know what to do with all that wealth. So he's like, that was it. Since then, no contact with, with Paul Simon. Wow. That's so. actually going to be a recurring theme that'll come back later. Here we go. Uh, on percussion, Ralph McDonald wrote Just the Two of Us, the Bill Withers song. Yeah. So kind of neat that a percussionist is, you know, he also writes stuff. I yeah. uh, grew up a steel pan player on the Harry Belafonte show. Okay. He plays on Breezin', the George Benson album, one yeah. of Rob's favorites. Oh, yeah. And has done stuff with Amy Winehouse and Billy Joel. Um, on sax, only one sax player, but lots of horn parts. Just yeah. one sax player, a guy named Ronnie Cuber, plays sax on Freeze Frame by the J. Giles Band. Huh. 
Jay Giles band? Yeah, Giles. Giles? Jay Giles? I'm going to go Giles. Oh, I'm going Giles. Really? I'm going to go Giles. Rivalry week, part three. Here we go. I even have a Jay Giles shirt. Jay Giles? Giles. What if it's Gee Giles? Gee Giles. Anyway, and he does the sax part on Tell Her About It, the Billy Joel song. Mr. Joel, thank you for stopping yeah, by. Hey. I appreciate that. He's also a member of the Saturday Night Live band. Okay. Um, and then here come the trumpet players. Here they There's come. four of them. John Faddis played with the Blues Brothers, 98 Blues Brothers. Okay. Also did work with Dizzy Gillespie, George Benson, and a bunch of other jazz cats. Wow. I intentionally use the word cats because I think that's cool you when you're talking, when you're talking about, about jazz. jazz. Yeah. On trumpet, Randy Brecker played with Jacko Pastorius, Todd Rundgren, and played on the Get Your Wings album by Aerosmith. Legend. Randy Brecker is, yeah. There you go. Lou Soloff, another trumpet player, most notably with Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Alan Rubin, fourth trumpet player, get this, on over 6,000 studio recordings. 6,000. He's done stuff with James Taylor, Eric Clapton, Rolling Stone, Sting. 6,000. Okay. If you did. I know. I was going to do the per year. <laughs> if you did, if you did, if you did. Let's say ten recordings a day. <laughs> it would take you at least. Let's see. We're great at math. At least seven thousand years. Five days. <laughs> I'm, go, I'm I'm conservative estimate. Yeah, yeah we're we're gonna go on the low side on that. See, Zool- this guy Zoolander. lives in the studio basically. Yeah. Zoolander. Zoolander math. That's good. I like that. Um, on trombone, Dave Bargeron did some work with Mick Jagger, David Sanborn, and Pat Metheny. Uh, on Penny Whistle. Yeah. Darn Skippy Penny Whistle. Man, that's important in this Should song. Should we just hit the Penny hit Whistle Hit the Penny solo? Whistle part. Here we go. I don't know how you play it. You know, so that's gotta a, have that Penny Whistle. That's right. That's Morris Goldberg. Was the band leader on the Rosie O'Donnell show. Listen, if you want a Penny Whistle, you call Morris Goldberg. That's right. He this moved is, from South Africa. Everybody knows this. That he's your Penny Whistle yeah. guy. And you might have been distracted of the Penny Whistle part because of the amazing bass part, which mm. is underneath a guy named Bakithi Kumalo. Good job. Um, did I nail that name? I don't know. Close enough. He also played with Joan Baez and Cindy Lauper. So I love this story. He plays a fretless bass, mm-hmm. which you can tell on this. It's yeah. fretless. Slap plus fretless. Slap fretless is, is like, what the heck? He bought his first bass, a fretless, because it was the cheapest bass in the store. Nobody right. wanted it. Like, uh-huh. he went and, you know, you don't have a lot of choices when you're, he's like, that's the cheapest one. I'll take that. Yeah. I don't need the frets. It was a Washburn, B, Washburn B40. So, if you want to look it up, now he's the master of the fretless bass. Wow, two masters on here. Um, <laughs> also does a lot with dead notes, octave hiccups, those kind of things. I yeah. mean, like, like we were just listening to. That's his. Yeah, you can hear jam. a lot of dead notes in here. He'll go like little. It's just like a half. It's not. It does not really a note. It's just a percussive thing just on the bass. That yep. kind of thing. Let's, let me clarify just a little bit what a fretless bass is. Oh yeah, uh, you absolutely. know we've probably used that term before, but uh, non-guitarists may not be familiar with the term. So, on a guitar neck, you have uh, usually twenty-two to twenty-four uh, frets, and they're little steel. Uh, steel bars that go from the top of the neck to the bottom of the neck on the front. And basically, when you put your fingers down, it the, the frets catch the tension, right? And the frets are set at certain points uh, that create certain notes, okay, in, the, in scales. Um, and uh, so playing a, playing a guitar with no frets, and this is most common on basses, I think once in my life I've seen a fretless, like, electric guitar uh, I don't understand why you would ever need it, but um, <laughs> but like a, a fretless bass guitar, the problem that it creates is you have to be really precise. precise. You got to be on it, man. Yeah, your fingers have to be in just the right spot because in the if you have frets, then all you have to do is put your finger between two frets and it catches on the next fret up the scale, um, and it does it it gives you the precision there. But if you're if you're using just your fingers, then you have to get them in just the right spots. It creates a really cool sound because you can like bend notes, that kind of stuff. You know, it's more like a it's more like a cello, right, mm-hmm. or a double bass in that yep. regard. You know what I'm saying? Um, so regular guitarists have it easier because you don't have to be as precise with your um, you know with your movements. But, Notation. Uh, another you know another guy, and I just kind of thought of this, who combines slap bass with fretless bass would be. Um, um, What's his first name? Uh, Les Claypool? Yeah, Les Claypool. Yeah, Les Primus. Claypool from Primus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, now his stuff gets considerably weirder. It's weird. But, but you it's, know. 
Yeah, it's a lot more like atonal than this stuff, but he does, you know, he's like equally, equally adept doing like Isley Brothers, you know, bass lines and weird Primus stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Good, good explanation on that. That was good. I'm going to skip a, par- a portion because while we're talking about different types of guitars, I'm going to jump down to the drummer, which I'll explain why in just a minute. A guy named Louis Perez played drums on this album, but he originally played the Haranya for the Los Lobos, it's like those small Mexican guitars. It's the five-string yeah. little guitar. Okay. It's tuned G, B, D, F sharp, A. So Interesting. it's weird. So tuned. it's tuned to a major nine chord? I guess. G, B, G, B D, D, F sharp, which is the major seven, yep, and an A. a. Interesting. So, scale length, it's only about 40 centimeters, tiny little thing. So he started as the just a snare player for the Los Lobos. They just hmm. had just a snare player. Then he went to Kit. Then they hired a guy named Victor Bassetti to play set. So they moved Victor, or they moved Louis Perez back out front, and they needed something for him to play. So he plays the little the little mm. Haranya now. He learned that. So cool. now he's primarily just a writer and a vocalist for the Los Lobos. Um, lots of South African musicians on this. Um, auxiliary drum work, a guy named Vusi Kumalo, um, a guy named Ferreri Mot. I'm going to botch these names. Some guy played accordion. His first <laughs> name's Ferreri. Um, Makaya Malangu plays some percussion. I'll just stop there. That's you're, do, an, you're doing a great I'm job. Nailing these. Read more South African names. I, I think I'm tapped right there. So that's uh that's what we got. And then I, obviously we can jump into Paul Simon. I kind of saved him for the end. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll just touch base on him here in a little bit. But sure. he does uh, some guitar work a little okay. bit and vocalist on there. So. Excellent. I want to talk a little bit more about the album. Uh, it did win the album of the year Grammy in 1987, as JP said, and that actually propelled this song. Uh, into the top 40, where it peaked at number 23. But that was the second time around. It had entered the top 100 previously, but it halted at number 44. It didn't make the top 40. But then after this album uh, got a little more attention after winning Album of the Year, then it re-entered the Hot 100 and uh, cracked that top 40 and made it to number 23. Um, I guess it was not, uh, you know, it wasn't the, the the feel-good hit of the summer necessarily, but it's... But it's got longevity. You yes. know, it'll, it'll be heard forever. Like Absolutely. This song, this song will be heard as long as there's radio stations. Um, it is number 71 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums list, between number 72, Superfly, by Curtis Mayfield, and number 70, The Stranger, by Billy Joel. Oh, wow. Two, that's, that's good. Two that's good, good solid, like, uh, you know, white guy albums. <laughs> um, for that Grammy win, the album beat out Peter Gabriel's So, Janet Jackson's Control, Barbara Streisand's The Broadway Album, and Back in the High Life by our old oh, buddy man, Steve, Steve Winwood. Yeah, 1987. Uh, inspired by Simon's trip to Johannesburg, South Africa, with his engineer uh, Roy Haley. I, I don't know if it's Halley or Haley. H-A-L-E-E. So I'm, I'm going Giles. to uh, Yes. Um, <laughs> where, uh, where they spent a couple of weeks recording with South African musicians, and then those tapes that they recorded kind of informed the sound and the style of the Graceland record. So they would... Just he would just the musicians would just jam for an extended period of time and and he would he would record it and then go back and listen to it listen to it while they were playing he'd be listening to it in one place while they were recording in another place and just just letting the music give him ideas which is kind of the opposite of uh, of how he normally did things uh, he would normally you know start with an idea and then put music around it and this was kind of the kind of the opposite um, so. A little bit of controversy. Uh, Simon's use of South African musicians and espousal of the cultural music was controversial, not only because of uh, cultural appropriation, which is a term that would not have been used at that point, but that's a term that we're familiar with now, um, but because at the time, uh, like JP said, South Africa was still under apartheid, which was essentially government-enforced racism and segregation to the benefit and indeed the rulership of the minority white population in South Africa. So for Paul Simon to suddenly be touting South Africa did not sit well with everyone. Um, in fact, there, there was an international boycott of South Africa instituted by none other than the United Nations. Um, so, but Simon didn't care. He said, uh, what gives them the right to wear the cloak of morality? Their morality comes from uh, the barrel of a gun. So, like, he was like, essentially, screw you guys. I'm going to do what I want. Uh, you know, forget you, United Nations. I'm going to do whatever I want. Um, 
But, uh, you know, there were sessions in New York City and London as well as Johannesburg. The sessions in South Africa were literally uh, limited by daylight. The South African musicians, musicians, they weren't allowed outside after dark without special permits. Uh, and so without those permits, they could have been arrested and, you know, or even worse. Uh, the album was also finished with a couple of tracks featuring a Zydeco band. And J- as JP mentioned, one of uh, members of Los Lobos. Los Lobos. What's Lobos translate to in Spanish? You know, Fail. Oh, no, wow. I don't know. Come on, Mojo. You're supposed to be the guy. I know. Man, Man on the spot, and I dropped the ball. I love wow. you, babe. Sorry, I messed up that Spanish. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, but members of both those it bands. It means the Lobos. It means the Lobos, yeah. Um, it was the uh, El, Nino, El Nino. Spanish for the Nino, for yeah. Chris um, Farley, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. R.I.P. So it featured members of this Zydeco band and members of Los Lobos, both of whom claim that Paul Simon used their contributions to the album, a.k.a. stole their music, without payment. Um, and, uh, it's a thing that Paul Simon claims to have been totally ignorant of it. Like his, uh, the way Paul Simon sees it and set out uh, allegedly to make this record with those guys and with the South African musicians was uh, basically a partnership almost was the, was the, um, terminology that he was using where we're in this together, you know, it's going to be my album, but we're all in this together. And, um, and so they understood that to mean that they would be getting writing credits for the song for Royalties the they're coming up with the the uh, backbone that he's then putting lyrics and melody over right mm-hmm. um but los lobos and and the zydeco band um never got their never got their take and um still to this day have not reconciled that so like los lobos not a fan of Paul Simon to this I, day. I, who do you do you have a side that you think that not yeah, just how I, you pick sides, but what do you think? No, I think I think Paul Simon's probably playing dumb. Really? Yeah. You think he did it on purpose? Sure. See, I, I'm the other way. I believe him. I think he's just a. I think he's just a. I trust him as a good guy. That his nobody's a good, good. guy. <laughs> I'm so gullible. I'm Come easily on. taken. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe he just you no. know was trying to. I, I you read think some, he was using them. I read some quotes for him. Now I don't know that he he went in with that intention. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but now he's in it. He's like ah. But yeah. But now so he ago. defends it. Yeah. He's you know he said basically he and I read this quote from him in multiple spots where he said uh, basically like well they didn't say anything so now it's too late. That was essentially oh, his well, his defense. Like you know, first if it time, wouldn't have big, been a hit, been a big hit, they wouldn't have cared. But now that it's huge, they're like, oh, that's let me have saying. my hand out. That's exactly what, what he said. Okay. Uh, he said that you know they didn't they didn't say anything during the recording process, and basically they should have spoken up mm-hmm. if they wanted money for their work. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> yeah. and then he said, but then you know, six months later when the album is popular, then I get a letter from a lawyer, and that's the first I've heard of it. Is what he says. Mm-hmm. So like. Uh, yeah, I think he's. I think he's. You tell us out there up. in a Twitter and Facebook land. What do, do you, you think? believe Paul? Do you Simon? trust Paul Simon? Um, um, let's talk a little bit about Paul Simon. Absolutely. Just a little bit. Um, yeah. Split from art multiple times. The height of their popularity was probably like 1970. Sound of Silence, Mrs. Robinson, Bridge Over Troubled Water. Yeah. Monsters. Um, perpetuated by The Graduate, the movie The mm-hmm. Graduate, Dustin Hoffman. He's one of the hundred most influential guitarists by Rolling Stone. I think that's pretty neat that he gets put in there. They don't say greatest, right. influential. Mm. Um, and that's, I think, because of the usage of his chord work and the way he plays. I could see that. Do you think that's a overration, overratedness? Over- okay, so I got to be fair. Mm-hmm. I'm not the world's biggest Paul Simon mark. Like, okay. I, I don't, you know, know what I'm saying? Know him too much? Yeah. Like, I know, I know a few of the hits, you know, and mm-hmm. that's kind of where I, like I am. I, like, I intend to listen to more, mm-hmm. but it's just one of those things that I never get around to. Um, so I don't, I don't know from what I've heard. I don't understand why that would be a thing, but um, I've already called him a liar. So I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah, really know what right. matters. Any chance we had of getting Paul Simon on after this, we have <laughs> since blown. Um, on there goes Ryman Simon loves me like a rock Kodachrome, probably his two biggest hits on there by himself on still crazy. After all these years, that song still, cra- I love that song still yeah. crazy after all these years. It's so good. Uh, and 50 ways to leave your lover. Yeah. It's a cool little yeah. Uh, since we'll never get to talk about this again, he uh, I've got an episode of the old Muppet Show that he was on. He was the musical guest, and um, they did. Um, they there was a running joke through the whole thing about Fifty Ways to Leave Your Lover. It was after it had just come out, and there was a f- funny joke uh, about like um, 
about being very appreciative of some of your mechanical equipment. And it was called, it was 50 ways to love your lever. Oh, like that's your, good. You know. I like that. That's good. It's a good joke. Um, are fun. Me and Julio down by the schoolyard. Yeah. Another fun little song. Yep. And we're just coming off of a basketball-related episode. So Diamonds there, on the soles of her shoes. There you go. A good one from this one. There you go. Yeah. Um, 16 Grammys. That's pretty wow. huge. Idols were... The, Stole them all. I know. <laughs> Didn't pay anybody <laughs> for right. none of them. Uh, his idols were the Everly Brothers, who y'all will know from Bye Bye Love, Wake Up Little Susie, all that stuff. So it's Paul, Sim- Paul Simon, man. He's, uh, he's a legend. He's I mean, the guy's around. a legend. He's been around. you got to respect. The guy yep. can write a freaking song. He can write. You know what I mean? With the help of others, apparently. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> come on now. I just... <laughs> you know, he's like the... Um, no, he's not like this, but it's funny to think of him as the... What's the guy from the second Harry Potter story? I don't know. I've never seen a Harry Potter. What? I've seen one where they play... They ride around on the broom and play that Quidditch game. <laughs> I know nothing about Harry Potter. <laughs> All you Harry Potter lovers out there are like, what a disgrace. Oh. I've, I've only seen one. Oh, is it man. Goblet of Fire? Is that All the one where they did it? All my friends are so disappointed in you. Sorry, guys. I was just getting <laughs> I've seen, in. I've seen the one where they're riding on the brooms, you know? <laughs> I saw that game. Harry Potter with the magic. That's you know that one. <laughs> <laughs> Expelliarmus. That's all I know. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's pretty uh, impressive that you, you even go. know that. I remembered that one. Man. Well, there's this guy in the one, one of the Harry Potter. I think it's the second one where he's <laughs> his got name's this, Ron. His name. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's got this storied history, right? Okay. And he, and he makes tons of money writing books about his exploits as a, as a magician, as a wizard, excuse okay. me. I almost said magician. Musician, musician. Anyway, his exploits as a wizard. Okay. And, uh, and in other, it, it finds out that what he really has is spoiler alert by the way if you haven't seen harry potter in the chamber of secrets by now or read it um it, it turns out that what he really has is a memory charm he's very good at making people forget things oh, okay. and so he travels with people and lets them do the things and then he makes them forget and, and he, he takes, takes the credit, credit for it. oh man that's paul simon there you go there <laughs> i'm just kidding i got nothing against paul simon i just don't happen that to was believe a good him comparison, though, in this particular from, from... Uh, instance you got anything on the video great video oh with yeah chevy uh, chevy chase yeah so um so Chevy Chase, so really, I read a couple of things that suggested that really this album doesn't happen without Lorne Michaels, okay. who is the executive producer, creator of Saturday Night Live, who is great friends with um, with Paul Simon. They live close to each other. They, they, they both have like summer homes in the Hamptons next to oh each other. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, so great. Louis Perez doesn't have a, I don't know, he <laughs> yeah. might by now. He but. might, yeah, but exactly. Um, so uh, Paul Simon was the musical guest on the second ever episode of SNL and he's been a frequent, I mean, forever more, you know, they even make jokes about like when the show is doing its hundredth anniversary, uh, you know, Paul Simon's still singing still crazy after all these <laughs> years on the show. Like it's just a running thing with him. Um, and so, um, uh, Lorne kind of Lorne put him together with somebody and 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 it helped this album to come about. Basically, they they both kind of discovered a love for this particular kind of music, and that led to the journey to South Africa and blah 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 blah. Well, also on top of that, he helps uh, Paul make this video. There was an original version of the video, which I, I I've don't never seen the original. Think it exists because okay. I don't think it ever made it like out of committee, basically. But it, it was an original version that was shot on set at Saturday Night Live. Uh, where he you do the monologue, um, mm-hmm. and uh, Paul didn't like it, so that so the video that we all know and love with Chevy Chase was made. But that was all um, thanks to Lorne Michaels, and uh, and it was directed by an SNL um, creative guy named Gary Weiss. And it's a cool video if you haven't seen it. It's basically Chevy Chase lip syncing the song. Yeah, um, it's it's awesome. And there's yeah. a whole part where he drops the glass of water through the drum holder and that kind of thing. It's, it's good, very playful. I heard that. Uh, I don't know if this is, that Chevy learned the lyrics on the way to the shoot. Did you hear that? No. That, that he's like they're like learn this song. He's like ah, I can you know I'll get my way through it. So he yeah. listened on the way there and, no, and faked cool. his way through it. Yeah. And the video. I do know this to be a fact. The video was done in one take. Really? Which is amazing. I, mean, I guess so. Like they just started, rolled it, did it. Just let done. Me, yeah. That's cool. My it. favorite moment uh, was always the the it's it's when Chevy is doing with his mouth what the bass line is doing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And 
and Chevy's making funny faces. That's awesome. Uh, what's your what's your what's your favorite Chevy Chase movie? Oh man, I'd probably have to go Christmas Vacation. Christmas? That's mm. that's the one. That's just because that's the one I've seen the most. I don't, what do you pick? Are you sticking with Fletch? No, Since you picked him on your NBA <laughs> team last week. I I think I would probably go with Vegas Vacation. Okay, actually, be, but because that's the one I've seen the most, I think Christmas Vacation is probably the most iconic. Right? Uh, uh, does he have anything that's well, more the first iconic one, than Christmas National Vacation? National Lampoon's Vacation is yeah, probably, but I think but like Christmas, Christmas Vacation is the one that's. And that's just recently, like within the past ten years or so, gotten a jump. When it came out, it wasn't huge. Yeah, that, like, but I guess because TBS or whoever it is plays it on so many times. Yeah, um, I got some Chevy Chase facts. Go for it, man. Cornelius Crane Chase. You're kidding. That's his name, Cornelius S- Crane Chase. Wow. I'd go with Chevy too. I would too. Um, dated Gwyneth Paltrow's mom for oh, years. I so, really thought you were going somewhere else. No, for a he, like he was. Uh, he could have been Gwyneth Paltrow's dad. I mean, not literally, because but right. what, you know what I'm saying. Chevy Chase is six four. Paul Simon is 5'2", so that video <laughs> comparison is awesome. Yes, it's co- instant comedy. He was almost Indiana Jones. What? And so was Tom Selleck. Okay. Ha- Harrison, Tom Selleck you can see. I know Tom Selleck, yes. I knew that Chevy story. Chase was their first choice. So that was going to be like a real comedy. That's so like, weird. That was going to be. Yeah. They, they dodged a bullet there, the Indiana Jones Man, franchise. You're not kidding. Literal bullet. They dodged a whip there. That was awesome. They did. Um, also turned down the role of Santa Claus, the Tim Allen movie. And I was thinking he's huh. already in a Christmas movie. Yeah. An so Christmas. maybe he didn't want to compete with himself. I don't know. Yeah. But so Tim Allen thanks him for that. And he was almost Forrest Gump. Wow. So those are three like iconic. You only like, I can't see anybody ever as Forrest Gump. Dang. That's Tom Hanks. You no, know, yeah. he's the only one that could do that in my mind. Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. Yeah. And Chevy Chase was almost all of those. Man. Instead, he's uh, Clark Griswold and Fletch. It's, you know? exactly. And that's good. They're good on their own. But. Yeah, man. And so, yeah. He, Caddyshack? Caddyshack, yeah. Some people oh, would definitely man, say Caddyshack. Yeah, they're is like, the why didn't you Chevy mention Chase that? Movie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. What's that show he's on now? I haven't seen it. Um, man, it's a newer show. Ah. Uh, are you talking about. Uh, are you talking about the school the community? Community. That's oh yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it good? I haven't ever seen. it. Oh yeah, it's really funny. Is it funny? It's really funny. Yeah. Um, and apparently, there's a whole thing with him. Apparently, Chevy has a, a lifelong, uh, or at least career long, uh, reputation of being a real a jerk, a real D nozzle. Yeah, yeah, they say he's awful. Um, but you know, whatever. But that was that showed up on Community. That's what made me think of it. Is like he mm-hmm. kind of left explosively. I think from Community. Okay. Uh, before the show was had run its course. So anyway, yeah, I think I'm going with I'm going with Vegas Vacation. Okay. I uh, oh my gosh, there's something about when he's. Um, <laughs> When he's he's at the Hoover Dam the, on Vegas vacation, guy. and he and he uh, he ends up basically on a rope flailing down toward the big wall at uh-huh. the Hoover Dam, and he's exposed. And they just do a shot of him like kind of close up, and he just goes very quietly, super tense moment, big music, and then it comes down, and he just goes, "Oh, beautiful, spacious guys." <laughs> It cra- kills me. Just kills me. <laughs> I'll have to watch time. it again. Maybe I haven't done it do justice. Or... Great one. Um, I, a couple other notes on the album, and then I, and then I think I'm I think I'm tapped. Um, this is just this is crazy. Okay, this is the degree of uh, controversy that came with Paul Simon's recording in South Africa using South African musicians and and also bringing them to the United States and London to to do work. Um, a militant liberation group in South Africa had a, a a literal kill list, like a kill on sight oh, wow. list, and Paul Simon was on it. Holy cow! He got added to it for for breaking the cultural boycott. Okay, so not only not only is he catching Man. heat from like people on, he's catching heat from both sides mm-hmm. of the boycott. Okay, yep. because. Um, Everybody hates Paul Simon. Like right. the government hates Paul Simon, and the people people right. hate Paul because Simon. they're saying you're making this worse for us by hiring these people. You're making this worse for everybody else, right? Like you think you're doing a good thing for them, but you're actually making it more difficult for the rest of us mm-hmm. right now. Okay, so this so this militant liberation group has a kill list and put Paul Simon on it. Um, he was removed from it at the behest of you want to guess. You just any just anybody take three guesses of a, another musician. Uh, okay, so we're thinking cultural impact. You'll never guess. Uh, I just want to hear you. Kenny try. G. Okay, that's actually not so far apart. Keep going. Barry Manilow. Okay, keep going. One more. Barbara Streisand. All right. 
So I feel like Kenny G is not super far away from Stevie Van Zant. Oh, well, there you go. Bruce Springsteen's yeah, guitarist guitar in the E Street Band. Man, we're going to do okay. a Bruce Springsteen episode, and we'll talk about Stevie Van Zant. Uh, Stevie Van Zant has do rag. Yes, coolest do rag in rock, probably. Yeah, I'm going to have right? to go with that. I think, uh, like Joe Walsh had a do rag year. <laughs> Did he? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, nah, I'm giving it to Steve. Still got to go Steve. Coolest two rag in music history has got to be probably Tupac, I think, right? Probably. Is there anybody yeah, did the it cooler we, than yeah, Tupac? I mean, Jimi Hendrix kind of, it wasn't a okay. do rag thing. Yeah, it was like a, a scarf. handkerchief with the scarf. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway. Okay. Anyway. We'll just, okay. On the Springsteen note, make a note. Headgear. <laughs> yeah. We'll do a headgear. <laughs> Yes, okay. Uh, Okay, so Stevie Van Zandt had long been an advocate for the end of apartheid and had made music with other artists, uh, Bono um, comes to mind, etc. That should have been my guess. Come on, that should have been my guess. Absolutely should have. And he'd made music with them decrying the use of a resort called Sun City uh, that would allow white artists to come play in South Africa under iffy, like boycott undermining circumstances. They were like, eh, we'll massage the, you know, a little bit. Um, and so though Stevie had his own differences with Paul Simon and still does for his breach of the boycott, as well as his close friendship and defense of Linda Ronstadt, who appears on this album, who had taken a cool half a million dollars to perform at Sun City. Um, he talked the militant group out of killing Paul Simon on wow. site. But even years later, this is how serious it was. Even years later, after Nelson Mandela had been freed, apartheid officially ended, all that stuff, uh, the, they had a, a celebratory concert in Johannesburg. Paul Simon was invited to, uh, and the militant group fired three grenades into the office of Paul Simon's promoter. Oh, my goodness. How about that? Holy cow. So, like, they were like, we're not going to kill you, but you're still going to know how we feel. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Well, anyway, we uh, have a big following in South Africa, so uh, <laughs> thank you for the support. That's uh, right. <laughs> we appreciate you guys. However we need to side with you, we will. So, <laughs> You've got our, you, you got our support. Side. That's yeah. right. We're with you. This song was actually recorded in the Hit Factory in New York. So yeah. this is not one of the ones that was recorded right. in South this Africa. This particular song, So yeah, this track that we've talked about in parts today, yes. um, it was recorded in at the Hit Factory, which yeah. is in New York City. Right. So, this go. is one of the ones that... Uh, that uh, you know got took money out of Los Lobos' pocket. There you this go. Is, yeah, this is one of the good ones. One of the good ones. Uh, so anyway, I think that's all we got for this episode. Yeah. I hope you've enjoyed this foray into one of the funnest songs with one of the darkest stories right. that we have done so far. It's a good little setup for the grand finale, I, right? Got to be honest, I was not expecting that when we, you know, I thought sunshine this and is rainbows, be fun and happy and joy, mm, yeah, marshmallows and ukuleles and trumpets, and, yeah. Bah, bah. But, oh, 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 I got one, I got one cover, dude. Oh, I got yeah, a cover, yeah. I got a cover, I got two, two notes, and, and they were done. Okay. Okay. First, the bass lick. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk Let's about talk it. for a second about the bass lick in this song. One second. Let's take a listen. First of all, can Goodness we just appreciate gracious. that lick? Can we listen to it again? One more we'll time. listen to it again in a second. Oh my Because here's what I want you to listen for. That bass lick is only half as long as it sounds. Did you see this? No. Okay. I spent a lot of time theorizing about this on my own. Just and then I realized if I had just read the Wikipedia article and countless <laughs> other places, it would have told me before me doing my own research. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, that bass lick is two bars. Okay. okay. It's. And then the back, right? Okay. That was very accurate on my part. <laughs> Nailed I it. That, right? Yeah. <laughs> Rob's like, I did tons of research. Like, yeah. And it's a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> he goes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, but the actual lick itself was just one bar long. But they liked it so much they wanted to extend it. So you know what they did? Double it. They reversed it. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the lick is is the lick, and then it's the same lick reversed from wow. front to back. And so, and yes. you can hear it, especially if you're on headphones, but you can hear it without. Uh, you can hear the that sort of pull that that notes in reverse have. They uh, where they're actually getting louder as they go instead of softer. It. You know what I mean? It kind of jerks That's a cool. little bit. So let's listen to it again and and listen to the notes kind of pulling away from each other. That's the giveaway of a uh, of a of a uh, a lick in reverse. Here it comes. You hear it that time yeah. that little you get that little kind of suction action. Man, 
know that's I mean? cool. Yeah. That's so, awesome. Well iconic, iconic bass. Absolutely. Like, and obviously, you know, bass players, they do what they can to recreate it live. You're not going to try and put a weird You're going to copy yourself. A looper. Like, yeah, yeah don't do nail your, your ditto looper there. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, okay, and so the other thing that I have is a, is a I'm going to call it a cover. Okay. Okay. Um, what it really is is a total ripoff. Okay. <laughs> this is um this is a song and I I don't know this because I went searching for it and found it. I know this because this was a song that are that I already knew and have have known forever to be a ripoff of you can call me Al, okay? Um this is a song called Kingdom Celebration from the Vineyard Worship album Winds of Worship 17 uh, uh, excuse me 15 Winds of Worship 15 live from Canada okay um there's been a previously recorded version of the song maybe multiple others but um this particular version they went so hard leaning into you can call me Al <laughs> in so many ways so i'm just going to play it a little bit of it okay, okay in a couple different spots and just just let you hear this this is kingdom celebration uh from winds of worship this is on 15. one of the browns bowl albums it too. was a different version so the original version or the first version i ever heard was like a reggae feel uh-huh, okay yeah that's the uh, one i know is, is it on uh, awake uh, america uh, or? Yeah. Mm-hmm. okay that's what i was thinking so it's boom yeah. It's that kind of vibe, yeah. okay? I know that one. I don't this know is this not. one. This is okay. this, this is, is Call a, Me Out yeah, featuring is, Winds of Worship. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Oh no. Now, the vocals don't have anything. No, but that's come the gone. vocals. Whatever. Yeah. I will praise Jehovah. Like. That's, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy, right? Oh, it's crazy. my goodness. And I Thank think you there's for showing even a, me that. I think there's even a spot later where everything else kind of stops and they just highlight the horns. And they do like, a bass part in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> Canadians, man. What are you going to do? I don't know. Uh, so, so, they pretty, so now, if Paul Simon ever... Here's that he's gonna know how Los uh, Los Lobos. That's felt, right. right? Yeah. All the twelve dollars that Winds of Worship made. That's right. I think selling I'm, their seven albums in Pathway. I think I'm the literal only person I know that owns that <laughs> album. I, um, I worked in a Christian bookstore and I've never heard that song. Wow. So there you go. I yeah. mean, I've heard that song, just not that version. Yeah. So, so anyway, I mean, it was number fifteen in a series. I think that was actually the last one they did. It's like the Land Before Time of worship albums. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Anyway, Guys, Paul Simon's a thief. That's all I'm trying to say. Setting it, setting it up for the grand finale. This Woo! is the next to last this of is season the three. Penultimate episode here. There you go. We got one more for you. Uh, can't wait to get it to you. As a matter of fact, we're going to just hit stop on this one and just go straight into recording it, yeah. and we'll have it for you next week. But um, A good listening practice. If you find a buddy to listen to the Great Song Podcast with, sit yeah. around and make that your hangout time. Absolutely. You know, grab you a good buddy. Put on Call Me Al and, and listen some- to the... Listen drugs or something? <laughs> no. Don't no. do don't no, do drugs. Don't do drugs. Don't do eat the junk food that we talk about. We yeah. always talk about our, our healthy eats before. Yeah. So uh, grab some food, grab get some, some friends fine little Debbies. There you go. You know, snack cakes. We should get sponsored by snack cakes. We're going to try. Man. Okay. Anybody that's out there. Let's do it. With lots of money. And they if you got throw snack cake the... connections, that's right. let's talk. Okay, so we'll host us. We're yeah. not picky. We're no, equal we're not... opportunists when it comes to snack cake. Absolutely. If there's a snack, if there's a South African snake snack yeah. Cake yeah. company. Yeah. We're down. At down. Yes. Absolutely. If you know Mrs. Freshly, oh, man. anybody out there know Mrs. Goodness Freshly? Gracious, please. <laughs> yes. We'll even settle for Betty Crocker. Man. Come or the on. great value version. Let's do I'm <sighs> We're gonna get a snack. Let's go. Right, let's get a snack. Thank you guys for hanging with us. <laughs> we'll see you again next week. Until then, I'm Rob. I'm JP. Go listen to some music. <laughs>